Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Well, welcome. It's so good to have you with us today on this nice, cool uh, uh, day, right? Oh, my goodness, the heat. My gosh, the heat. Hey, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. You know, we all have things that are important to us, right? I mean, we have hobbies and vacations and sports and, you know, our TV shows or, or movies. And with the topic of food, most of us have certain things that are important to us. Uh, a few years back, I went on the hunt for the perfect fork and the perfect spoon. Yeah, I really did that. I, I couldn't stand any of the varieties that we had in our house. And so I went on the hunt and I found them. And so now, it's so much so that whenever I go travel or go on vacation, yes, I actually take the perfect fork and the perfect spoon. Now, the knife, I'm still working on it, but I do have to tell you, I have a very particular set of skills. And knife, I want you to know, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will buy you. All right, just trying to have a little fun. Uh, who caught that? Who knows what that's fr from? Go ahead and type that in real quick if you know it. that was fr from. Okay, so what about this one? When you're still talking about food, when it comes to your food, what's important to you? Are you a blender or a non-blender of food? My son Cameron, he's a blender of his food. Whatever he has, he puts it on a plate or in the bowl. He just mixes it all together and then eats it that way. And I can't stand that. You know what's important for me? It's important for me to taste the, the, the individual flavors of the food I have. And so, for example, when I have spaghetti, right here I, I get a bowl and I put my meat sauce in, uh, in the bowl. And then over here I eat my spaghetti and I eat them separate. Now, I'm hoping I'm not the only crazy person who does that. So right there in the chat, why don't you type in together if you mix your food all together. But if you're like me, uh, type in separate. I got to know that there's at least somebody else here at LifePoint who kind of separates some of their food. So type in separate there. You have certain things that are important to you regarding birthdays or, or, or holidays, right? It's important uh, the family you visit and how you do that and the schedules. It's important uh, to eat certain meals or, or maybe when it comes to present time, how you open the presents or what's the order or, or what's your routine that you do with that. Now, I know a lot of it's really just preference, but it's also what is important to us. Now, when I start asking you what is really important to you, I mean, I'm talking what's most important to you, you probably start thinking about things like your family, right? You probably start thinking about friends. You might start thinking about something like, man, it is really important that I retire by this point in my life or by this age. And so for some of you, you're like, man, saving, that is so important to me, and you go after that. Or, or some of you, you might say, you know what, it's really important to me to be a generous person, and so, so you give in a certain way, and that's just really important to you. Some of you might say, man, what's really important to me is to be a blessing to others with my life and to give my life away and to serve. And so some of you are like, man, that's important to me. And then some of you say, you know what, you might say, what's most important? Some of you will say, you know what, God is most important to me. God is most important to me. Now, when it comes to God, what is most important to God? What's most important to God? Above all else, God wants to be number one in our hearts. In fact, what's the first of the Ten Commandments? It says this in Exodus chapter 20. It says, do not worship any God except me. 
And when Jesus was asked what's the most important commandment, he quoted the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, and he said in Luke 10, 27, he said that above all else, that we're to love God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. God wants all of our heart. That's what's most important to him, not just part of our hearts. So, if you're Satan, if you're the enemy, the, our spiritual enemy, what would you do? Wouldn't you try to take people's heart away from the only true God and try to get people to worship and to serve and to follow, you know, other gods or false gods or, or idols, right? Fake gods. Wouldn't you try to do that? And that's what something the evil one has been doing since the beginning of history. Now, when we put false gods in the place of the one true God, the Bible calls that a sin. It's the sin of idolatry. And here's one of the problems of false gods. False gods promise what only the true God can provide. False gods promise what only the true God can provide. For example, money, we might say money's kind of one of those, you know, pretty popular false gods that's out there. Money promises what only God can provide. Money says this, it says, if you have enough of me, you'll be happy, you'll be secure. But the reality is, you can have plenty of money, and the doctor says, you have cancer, and you're going to die within 30 days. You know what you realize? You realize it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't make you more secure, it doesn't make you happy, it's a false promise. Now, during the days of Elijah, we're in this series uh, on Elijah, the people of Israel, they were worshiping and serving false gods. And these false gods couldn't provide what they promised. They were false gods. Let me give you a quick recap to set the stage for where we're headed today. Elijah was called by God to confront the very evil king Ahab. And... and Excuse me. Ahab was turning the hearts of the people away from the one true God and towards the false gods of Baal and Asherah. These false gods promised, hey, if you worship me, I'll, you know, I'll make your crops grow. If you worship me, you'll have a better life. False gods promise, but only the true God provides. So God raises up Elijah, and his mission is to call people back to the one true God. And so Elijah goes, and he confronts the king, and he basically says, because of your idolatry, because of the idolatry of the people and following and worshiping false gods, God sent me to tell you it is not going to rain again until God tells me to pray to him and ask him to have it rain. So during this, what would then be years of a horrific drought, God sends Elijah to a place called the Kareth Ravine. The word Kareth means to cut down or a cutting down, and that's really what God was doing in this season with Elijah. He was cutting him down. He was humbling him, getting him to be dependent totally on God because he was trying to develop him into an even stronger man of faith. God provided food for him miraculously and water to him. And then God said, uh, after that, God sent him to a widow and her son who were eating their last meal before they were getting ready to die because that's how little they had. And then God used Elijah to, to, to basically provide a miracle and God provided this miracle where their flour and their water 
it, or, or their flour, yeah, flour and oil, excuse me, didn't run out. It was a miracle of God continuing to provide. Then one day, this widow's son dies. And Elijah goes before God, and, and he prays, and, and he asks God to, to raise the boy from the dead. And God does that, and so we're seeing in Elijah this period of developing and preparing him for what's coming in the story we're looking at today. God's developing him into the man that God wants him to be. So, let's pick up the story. We're over three years into this drought, and God tells Elijah, I want you to go back now and meet with Ahab again, King Ahab. We're going to pick it up, 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 17. 1 Kings 18, verse 17, it says this, When he, meaning Ahab, saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now, the word troubler in Hebrew can also mean or be translated as snake, or viper. You know, Ahab's basically saying, hey, Elijah, this whole drought and famine and people dying, Elijah, it's all your fault, you snake. And in verse 18, Elijah responds and says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have, and what's the word? What does it say? You have what? You've abandoned the Lord's commands, and you have what? You followed the Baals. You are committing, you've committed the sin of idolatry. You're putting false gods in place of the one true God. Now, I really don't think many of us, probably most of us, I don't think any of us would say that we worship false gods. We would say, you know what, I love God and I worship God. And I think that would be true of of most of us, if not all of us. But the reality is this. Even though we believe in the one true God, Many of us live as if we worship and serve many false gods. We're monotheistic in our belief, but we're polytheistic in our practices and in our actions. Of course, false gods today are much more subtle than they were, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. They're they're socially accepted norms in the modern era. They aren't some wooden idol or, or stone idol like Baal or Asherah. But don't lose sight of what a false god or, or, or an idol is. An idol or a false god is anything that takes on ultimate worth for us. That it's hard to imagine our life without it. Instead of God, instead of God, that thing or that idol or that false God, that's what becomes our, our, our primary security and, and, and our fulfillment and our identity. For example, most of us would never say that, you know, I worship the, the false God of money. No, none of us would say that. And yet for many people, money is their primary form of security or safety. It's what we will pursue at all costs to get that security that we long for. So we worry about money all the time. We don't obey God when it comes to God asking us to be generous or we don't obey God in in our tithing. We might even sacrifice our integrity or even our family to go after it or to get it. There's some people, they'll worship the false gods of material possessions. You know, your house, your car, your stuff, the things you have, because we think 
that that is really what's going to bring us satisfaction and fulfillment, peace and joy. Or we try to find fulfillment maybe in our favorite sport or our favorite hobby or, or even in our career or, or, or through time off or through vacations. And then there's some people who, who they try to find their, their identity, you know, in their image, you know, how they look. Or they try to find their identity in their accomplishments, that they would be admired by others and they're seeking the approval of others rather than finding their identity and knowing they're accepted and approved, approved as a child of God. See, Satan is smart. Our enemy is clever. He doesn't have us worship a wooden, you know, idol or a, or a, or a stone idol, just like they did thousands of years ago. He doesn't have us do that. He picks the things that are socially normal, socially acceptable in our modern era, and he uses those to turn our hearts against God. John Calvin said it this way. He said, the human heart is an idol factory. So that's why we want to ask this question today. What are the false gods that I serve? What are the false gods that I find myself putting ahead of the one true God? What are my idols? Now let's just be real here. Let's be open. Let's be honest before the Lord. Let's be humble before the Lord. What are some of the false gods that you, what are some of the false gods that I have elevated into the place of the one true God? See, that's the sin of idolatry. We believe in one God, monotheistic. But by our practices and by our behaviors and by our decisions, we live like we follow other gods multiple gods, polytheistic. So here's what Elijah does. He basically says to the king, he says, God is calling all of you to account. And I think in a sense, that's what God's doing with us today. He said, I'm calling all of you to account today, and I want to have a conversation about that. And so how does the story go? First Kings chapter 18, verse 19, it says this. Elijah says to, to, to Ahab and the king, he says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And that's 850 false, you know, teachers or preachers. I mean, that's like 850, you know, false, uh, you know, churches all over the country. It was rampant. The idol worship was everywhere, you know, just like it is today. But actually, what really grabbed my attention is when he said, bring the 400, you know, prophets who eat at the table of Jezebel. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, dang, that's a, that's a huge table, right? I mean, that's one large table. First Kings chapter 18, verse 20, it says, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel, I want you to imagine this for a moment. It's a spectacular view up there in the northern part of Israel. And for those of you who've been to Israel, maybe with me or other people, you could get this in your mind's eye. Off, you know, to the west there, you would see in the distance the Mediterranean uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Off to the south there, you would see some of the valley, and, and off into the distance, you would see the hills and the mountains, of, the, the hills of Judea. And as you turn towards the east, 
you would see there the Jezreel Valley and, and look a little towards the north and, and off over into the distance, you'd see the Galilee region. Continue looking up, you might even see Mount Tabor way off in the distance. And so God, and by the way, let me give you a Bible trivia here. What battle at the end of the age takes place in that Jezreel Valley that you can see from Mount Carmel? It's the battle of what? Type that in if you know that. Battle of what? That's the battle of Armageddon. And so you could see that, that valley up from Mount Carmel. So God wanted this gathering up high, looking over all of Israel. Why? Because this isn't just something God's doing with Elijah at the Kareth Ravine. This isn't something God's just doing you know, with Elijah privately with a widow. No, this is for everyone. This is for all people. And he wants it for all to see. First Kings chapter 18, it goes on, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver? One tr many translations says, how long will you limp between two opinions? In other words, the people were not fully committed to God. They were limping along. They were wavering between God and the false gods. Jehovah, Yahweh God, was in a sense just one of the gods that were a part of their life. One of the gods that they would sort of follow, sort of serve, and then they would sort of serve and follow these other false gods. And then he says to them, he says, if the Lord is God, then what? I want you to say these two words out loud wherever you are right now. I want you to say these out loud. Then the Lord, if the Lord is God, what are the two words? If the Lord is God, what? Say it out loud. Look at the person next to you if you're sitting with someone. If not, just say it out loud. The Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, what do you do? You follow him. But the people said nothing. I imagine like some of you, when I asked you to say something, you didn't say anything. So if you didn't say anything, if the Lord is God, do it now. Turn to the person. If you're with somebody, if you're not, then still say it out loud. If the Lord is God, what do you do? Follow him. Follow him. I think that Elijah would say the very same thing to you and I today. The Lord is God. Follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But quit wavering between the two quit limping back and forth between the two one translation says it this way first kings 18 21 how long will you try to have it both ways how long are you going to try to have it both ways i mean you want god and you want god to keep you out of hell and to get you to heaven but maybe you still want to do whatever it is you want Oh God, hear my prayer. Oh God, bless me. God, I, 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 I need you to take care of me and protect me and keep me safe and give me this and do this. But I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. Oh God, I want all the good things. But I don't want to stop these things that are maybe not so good. Quit wavering. Quit claiming Christ, but then living like you don't know him. Quit saying you want the benefits and yet you're not willing to offer up your life as a sacrifice. Quit trying to have it both ways. You see what Elijah is really saying to the people? What he's saying to us is choose. Take a side. Take a side. And I really want you to think about the implications of this. He's essentially saying this. If your God, whatever your God is, okay, whatever that false God, whatever you think is important to you, he's saying, 
Pick a side. In other words, go all in. I mean, follow that God or version of God or whatever it is. Follow that with everything you have. Seriously, really think about what Elijah's saying here. Think about the implications. So let's, you know, if accumulation or material possessions, if they really do provide, I mean, I'm not just talking promise, but if they really do provide eternal security, identity, fulfillment, not just temporarily, but, but, but eter- permanently, eternally, if they really provide, you know what? He's saying then, then just stop sort of accumulating. He's saying go all in. Go after it. I mean, if that means you've got to go into massive debt, so be it. Go after the materialism. It means cheat. It means steal if you have to. Do whatever it takes. And certainly, if that's what, that that's what you're going after, certainly never give anything ever again. Never be generous again. Why would you? Because that's going to diminish your ultimate goal of acquiring. It's because the possessions, if that's what you're going after, you're believing that that's what's going to give you security, going to give you your identity, going to give you your fulfillment. So if that idol is what you're all about, if that's your God, if that's your passion, if that's your pursuit, Elijah's saying, then go all in. Go for it. If your image, if that's you know, your false God or, or your truly God, or truly God then, then go after it. I mean, do it. I mean, go to the gym four, five, six hours a day. Some of you are like, yeah, awesome. I'd love to do that. Do whatever it takes to get the image you're looking for that's going to give you the security and, and the fulfillment and the identity. Whatever it takes, go after it. Just ignore the fact that you're going to pass away. You're going to die one day. Don't even think about that. That would totally disqualify the God of your appearance. What about sexual pleasure? Well, if that's your pursuit, if that's your God, then don't let something as you know, small as a marriage hold you back. And if you're not married, you know, all the more power to you. Do whatever you want. If that's your God, go for it. But, Elijah says, but if God if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified for our sins, buried, and then rose from the dead three days later, who is alive today, if He is God, then quit wavering. Quit limping along. Serve Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Don't just claim He's God and then live as if He doesn't exist. Love Him with everything you have. Follow Him with everything you have. Be devoted to Him with everything you have because He promises that you could find your identity, your fulfillment, your security in Him. And He provides. He promises and He provides. Why? Because He's the one true God. He comes through on His promises. Now, here's the problem. Far too many Christians want to have it both ways. They try to have a little bit of the world and a little bit of God. But here's the deal. They're just enough into the world to be miserable in God. And they're just enough into God to be miserable in the world. Pastor and author Matt Chandler says this. He says, church is a terrible hobby. 
I want you to think about that. Church is a terrible hobby, he says. He says this. He says you have to get up each weekend and you have to head to a crowded place where you've got to find a parking spot. You have to, in some churches, walk a long distance. You have to get into the auditorium. You have to sit in a room filled with people. And I know it's not happening now, so you've got to imagine, you know, back six months ago, filled a, a room filled with people and, and everybody from the stage and all around you, they're always pressuring you to volunteer. They're always pressuring you and making you feel guilty guilty and they want you to give your hard-earned money and then some guy gets up and yells at you for 30 minutes right so he goes on and he says this he says he says church it's like having halloween every week he says you get all dressed up and you put on your christian face mask and you pretend to be something you're not somebody says hey how are you doing? How's it going? And you say, hey, great brother, praise the Lord, praise Jesus, How life is wonderful. But then you walk away knowing you just lied. It's a terrible hobby. I mean, what a waste of a perfectly good weekend, right? Now, I got to tell you, with this COVID season and not having church gathered together, at least physically, I know we're online, but not physically together, and, and so in many respects, having a much more freed up win, win, uh, weekend, I've never had this since I was about 10 years old. I got to tell you, having done this for a while, I get the appeal. It's been fun having this, you know, freedom on the weekends, but come on. Aren't you dying on side, inside? Aren't you dying to get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ physically? Not just in the spirit, you know, as we're doing this online, but to be together physically? Before COVID, you know, I imagine there are some of you who, you might have been complaining about serving. I mean, just think about it. Think back to that. And you maybe were complaining. You may not have done it externally, but internally before the Lord, like, ah, oh, I made this commitment. I got to go do it again. But I'll bet you right now, you would give anything to serve, wouldn't you? If you're a teacher and LP kids, you'd give anything to serve those kids right now. If you're a greeter and usher, you'd give anything to be able to, to, to greet people and say hello and to give them a hug. Uh, you would give anything to, to that person before that you were griping about who stands next to you or is around you in the area you sit and they sing loud and they worship God loud, but they sing terribly. And you've talked about, man, I can't believe we got to move. They sound so horrible. And right now you're thinking, I would give anything to be next to them, to stand next to them. Why? Because I suspect this COVID season has given us perspective. I suspect it's helped us to see our limping, to see our wavering between God and the false gods. So Elijah says this, he says, go get two bowls, one for you and one for me, and we're going to build a couple of altars and we're going to sacrifice to our gods. So let's pick up the story, let's see what happens. 1 Kings 18, verse 24, he says to them, to these false prophets of Baal and Asherah, he says, you call on the name of the Lord, your God, and I will call the name of the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah God. The God who answers by what? What's the word? Say it out loud, type it in. The God who answers by fire, who is he? He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. What you say is good. Now, here's the question. Why are they excited about that? Why do they think, hey, that sounds great to us? 
Well, because they're thinking, okay, Elijah must not know us very well. You must not know our God very well because our God is the God of the sun, right? The God of heat, right? The God of fire. And so they're excited about this challenge. This is right up their alley. I mean, Elijah, you're definitely going to get smoked. By the way, that was pun intended, so maybe a little chuckle in the, in the chat. Can you do that for me? I, since I don't have anybody laughing out loud here, I need somebody to laugh, you know, in the chat at least. Verse 26, 1 Kings 18, 26. So they took the bowl given them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, and they were dancing around going, Baal, answer us. And they shouted, but the Bible says what? The Bible says, but there was no response, no one answered, and so they danced around the altar that they had made. Nothing happened, and I love this. Elijah starts messing with them. I mean, this passage tells me, at least, that I'm pretty sure Elijah had a great sense of humor. I mean, I think he really did, because it goes on, 1 Kings 18, 27, it says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Why don't you shout louder? I don't think he can hear you. Surely he's God. And look at what he says. Perhaps he's deep in thought or he's busy or he's traveling. You know, he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. Somebody needs to go wake him up. Elijah is totally messing with the priest. In fact, it's pretty funny what Elijah's doing here. Uh, When he says that, hey, maybe your God is busy. A more literal translation is, hey, maybe your God is going to the bathroom. Now, depending on how crude your bathroom humor is, you can picture Elijah saying these words to them, how maybe you would talk to a best friend or friends or or someone in your family. You know, he's basically saying, hey, maybe your God has taken a... Don't fill in any blanks there. But you get it. What I'm saying is, I mean, he's playing around here with them. So if you read on, what did they do? They shouted louder. They danced around. That that was part of their worship. They started cutting themselves because that was kind of the worship type that you did with that God. And because that's what they did, that was part of their worship. Scripture says they shouted all day long. Sadly, for many today, we don't just dance around and shout out to false gods all day. Sadly, we do it all lifetime long. Dancing, praising, pursuing, serving, and worshiping the false gods that promise, 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 but never provide. They never deliver all lifetime long. 1 Kings 18, verse 36. Then the prophet Elijah stepped forward, and what did he do? What does it say he did? Type it in. He what? He prayed. He didn't dance. He didn't shout. He didn't cut himself to get God's attention. He simply prayed. That's what God calls you and I to. We're going to talk about that more in the upcoming weeks. Verse 36, here's what he prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Jump ahead to verse 37. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you, what does it say? You are turning their what? Turning their hearts back again. I imagine there are some of you who are watching this right now or listening to it. And at one point, you were really walking with God. You were serving God, loving God, following God, worshiping God. But then you turned away. 
and you found yourself putting some false god or combinations of God on the throne of your life. See, today God is trying to reveal himself to you. God is trying to call your heart back to him, to turn your heart back to him again. And so in this passage, Elijah prays, and in verse 38 it says, the fire of the Lord fell from heaven. You get this fire lightning rod from heaven, and here's what Scripture says, and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. I didn't tell you earlier, but they doused uh, Elijah's sacrifice uh, bowl with, with, with water, and, and a trench was full of water. There's no way in the world that thing would have lit up, and yet God burned it all up. Verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, meaning Yahweh, Jehovah God, the Lord, He is God. See, that's my prayer for you. It's my hope for you. That you would see the one true God for who He really is. And that all those false gods, all those idols that are in your life or a part of your life or that's causing you to kind of waver, that they'd fall away in comparison. That your heart, that our hearts would be turned back to God. And that we would say, Lord, you are God. Lord, you are my God. So would you be willing, right now, to go before the Lord, to allow God's question to us through Elijah to pierce our hearts, 1 Kings 18.21, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow Him. Go all in. But if Baal is God, then go ahead and follow Him. Would you be willing? Right where you're sitting, right where you're at, right where you're li- wherever you are, or if you're walking or working out, whatever it is, would you be willing in the spirit of repentance to dethrone the false idols in your life that are standing in the place of the one true God, that are standing in the place of where you want to be with the Lord, that you would turn to the Lord or you would turn back to the Lord, that you would turn your heart to God. Would you be willing to do that now? Let's pray about that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Almighty God, King of the universe, You revealed Yourself by fire thousands of years ago. And I pray, God, in this moment right now, You would reveal Yourself by the fire of the Holy Spirit. That You, God, would just... God, You would just burn open our hearts. God, show us very clearly the ways in which we have not given You honor. We've not given You praise. We've not given You our worship. God, show us the idols. God, show us the false gods in our life. Speak to us, God. If you're sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, if you sense the Holy Spirit opening your heart to Him, would you humbly, in repentance right now, come before Him? Say something like this. Just pray something like this with me. Say something like this. Say, God... I confess this to you. Name whatever that idol is. Humbly right now before God, say, God, I confess this. Fill it in. You know what it is. God, the Holy Spirit's working on you. God, I confess this to you. Forgive me, God, 
I want to quit wavering between you and this. I want to be done with it. I want to serve you, God. I want to worship you. And I want to follow you. And you alone. So God, I choose you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. If you're here, you're listening to this, and you haven't yet declared Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to know that you can have the security of eternal life in heaven, that you can find your identity in Jesus Christ, that you can find ultimate fulfillment in God, in Christ alone, if you want Jesus, if you want God in your life, then pray something like this right now with me. It's not the exact words, but it's more that you would mean it in your heart. Pray this, say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And so right now, Jesus, I believe, I recognize, I know that you are the Son of God, that you died for me, that you rose again on the third day and that you're alive today, that you're the one true God. So Jesus, be the Savior of my life. I put you on the throne of my life. I'm yours and I'm not going to waver between you and other false gods. Jesus, I worship you, and I worship you alone. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. God, hear all of these prayers. We no longer waver. We're choosing today to serve you, to follow you, to love you, and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.